Welcome to Waterbrook Church, located in Victoria, Minnesota. Glorious Disruption is about when Jesus shows up and turns everyone's world upside down. We believe this study of God's Word is about to turn many people's lives completely around. It may be even upside down because that's what happens in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus comes to people who are absolutely stunned and amazed by Him, and they are profoundly and gloriously changed forever. Let's begin by praying that this happens here at Waterbrook and beyond for our joy and amazement in Jesus. Let's worship together. I just uh, wish that you would sing like you mean it. (laughs) I'm sitting in the front row. It's coming over me. And uh, praise God for the encouragement that comes in worship, hearing the word, praying, singing the gospel to one another. That's what we're doing. We're singing to God, but we're singing in the presence of each other to remind each other the hope that we have in the resurrected Christ. Let me um, extend a warm invitation on Tuesday at 5 here at the church outside. Lord willing, the weather will be good. We're going to have a service to remember our friend Brad Morton. And uh, we've been uh, waiting to do that. And so, God willing, on uh, Tuesday at 5 o'clock, we will have um, a service, a memorial, and celebrate and give thanks to God for Brad's life. And then, as Brad would want, we're going to have a barbecue afterwards out here, as he often helped out with that. So you're all welcome to come and join us in remembering our brother Brad, who is now with the Lord, for which we give thanks. This passage of Scripture is the last section of the Gospel of Luke. We've been studying it for quite some time, and it's where kind of the the shoe drops. Um, It's where the disciples click into what Jesus has been telling them, what Jesus has been revealing to them. Um, It is where you see a real big change from despair and discouragement into resurrection joy and confidence and I hope even this morning you realize that as Jesus is exalted the crucified and risen and reigning Jesus is exalted that even in one worship service in a short period of time you can go from hopelessness to hope you can go from discouragement to confidence Uh, You can go from paralysis to passion for the advancement of the gospel to countries like Iraq and to your neighbors and to your family. That's what happens in this passage of Scripture. There is a huge shift that takes place where the meaning, the message of the gospel falls into place. Suddenly, they get it. They understand that this is about the resurrection. This is about Christ conquering sin, conquering death, and Jesus reigning for all eternity, and the shift of human history changes with this. This now becomes the lens through which every Christian looks at life. My dear friends, I'm going to ask you this question today. What is the lens through which you look at life? How hopeful are you? How confident are you? How does the fact that Jesus rose from the dead shape the way that you look at life, ministry, and mission in this world? How does it change? Can I ask you the question today, if you were to be asked before you walked into worship today, what is the thing that defines a Christian? 
and shapes the Christian's hope in a dark world, in a sinful world, in a hostile world, would you answer the question, Jesus Christ has conquered sin? Jesus Christ has conquered death. Jesus Christ reigns at the right hand of the Father. The victory is not potential, it is now. The king has come and he has been crowned the king. God has said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for my feet. Do you have that kind of hope? You see, as we come to the end of the gospel, we're going to be left with a a cliffhanger in a sense. We come to the end of this passage of Luke 24 and you and I are about to go, okay, what? Because we have a group of disciples who suddenly realize that Christ has triumphed and the power is being granted to them. And now they wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit to be poured out on them. So just so you know, sometime in the not-too-distant future, we'll go to the book of Acts. We'll lean into it. But I want to end the Gospel of Luke asking, are you leaning into the resurrection? Are you leaning into the hope of the Gospel? Is the lens through which you look at your life, your circumstances, that which is around you, the culture, is it through the lens of the resurrection? We all have what is called plausibility structures. I'm going to throw that word at you, phrase at you today. Plausibility structures are things that we have in our mind by which we test whether or not the the things around us align with reality. For example, in our culture, science is a plausibility structure. We ask the question, does what we believe align with evidence? Does it align with experimentation? Is it reproducible? The difficulty, of course, is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ doesn't fit the plausibility structures of this world. The resurrection of Jesus Christ swallows up the plausibility structures. The resurrection of Jesus Christ recalibrates everything. This reality defines all other realities. So Paul will write in 1 Corinthians 15 verses uh, 54 to 57, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh death where is your victory? Oh death where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. My dear friends, Christ has given us the victory over sin and over death and over the law. Leslie Newbegin in his book, The Gospel in a Pluralist Society, says, it is obvious that the story of the empty tomb cannot be fitted into our contemporary worldview or indeed into any worldview except one of which it is the starting point. That is indeed the whole point, he says. What happened on the day of the resurrection is according to Christian tradition only to be understood by analogy with what happened on the day the cosmos came into existence. It's a boundary event, a point where, as cosmologists tell us, the law of physics ceased to apply. It is the beginning of a new creation, a mysterious to human re- as mysterious as the human reason as the creation itself. So Newbegin says this, one does not defend the new perspective by trying to demonstrate its compatibility with the old. One challenges the old with the demand and the offer of a death and a new birth. 
We look at the world around us and say, we don't define the resurrection by your laws. We define your laws by the resurrection. That's how the Gospel of Luke ends. A declaration, an expression, a transformation of the disciples. The resurrection now defines everything for them. And it gives them courage and it gives them power and it gives them hope and it gives them joy. So can I come back to this question today? When you walked into Waterbrook today was the resurrection, the lens through which you saw life. Were you shaped with hope or with fear? Confidence or unbelief? Joy and worship or sorrow and cynicism? Can I say to you, it's okay to come in with sorrow and cynicism and unbelief because these disciples did and Jesus turned it around for them. May he do it today for us. So here's the first thing I want us to see in this passage of Scripture. I'm going to call it a defeatist plausibility structure. In this passage of Scripture, Jesus shows up to the disciples in verse 36. And they encounter, Jesus encounters in them a belief system that we encounter in our day. And it's essentially this, dead men don't rise. That's what he encountered. Listen to what Luke writes in verse, And as he was talking about these things, Jesus stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. And I believe that Jesus says peace to you today, and Jesus says peace to me today, and when he says it, he's not giving a casual greeting. What Jesus has done is he's come to deliver peace to us that this world could never give us. Only by his death, only by his triumph over sin, only by his ascension, his victory, his resurrection, only in that way can you and I be assured that there is peace unlike any peace. He's the Prince of Peace. He is our peace who's broken down every wall. That's who Jesus is. He comes and he announces peace bodily standing in front of the disciples. And look at the reaction that's described here. He said, peace to them, verse 37, but they were startled and frightened and they thought they had saw a spirit. (laughs) This is like a Christmas carol, Ebenezer Scrooge. A specter has appeared to them. They think they've seen a ghost. They think he's, it can't be possible that a dead man would rise and in their minds, in their thinking, even though they would have theology, even though they'd been with Jesus who repeatedly told them he would die, be crucified, handed over to the Roman rulers, and then he would be buried and rise again on the third day, despite he saw it, despite the rumors that had gone on, despite the vision, that uh, the women meeting the angels at the tomb and running back and telling him, Simon Peter going investigating, the, man, the, the couple on the road to Emmaus encountering the resurrected Jesus, having the bread broken to them, and, they're, and, and they're, they realize who he is, despite all of that, these disciples cannot see that the dead could possibly rise. Here's good news to you and I. This is an answer to the plausibility, culture, uh, plausibility structure of our culture. In our culture, there is this kind of pervasive idea, dead men don't rise. And so what happens is varied. In some senses, in our culture, what do we do? We eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow, we die. We have a culture that is filled with self-indulgence. 
And when we believe that dead men do rise and Jesus has risen, when that conviction comes over us, we can actually be those who do the exact opposite. Instead of indulging our lives and trying to make meaning out of our lives and trying to make our lives last as long as they can, we can be like him who is a true friend who laid down his life for his friends. The, the transformation in our lives when we believe in the resurrection, the narrative of us is that dead men do rise. Here's the other thing. Not only physically do dead men rise, spiritually dead men rise. Can I ask you this question? Is there someone in your life that you think will never change? Is there someone in the mirror who you feel is stuck and cannot change? The message of the resurrection is not simply that God has the capacity to raise physically dead men, but this Jesus has come to raise spiritually dead men and women. He has that power. He has that capacity. He has that ability. And that is countercultural. Because in our culture, we write people off. That life is short. I only go around once. I've got to grab all I can. And if you are a pain in the neck, I ghost you. I drop you. I get rid of you. I don't need you because I don't have time for this. Have you ever said that to someone? Are you rejoicing today that Jesus never said that to you? This is the great news of this text of Scripture. This switches the plausibility that dead men can't live. The reality is that dead men get raised all the time by the risen Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul writes to the church at Ephesus and he says, I do not cease. This is chapter 1, 16 and 21. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you might know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints, listen to this, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believed according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and over every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come. Paul is saying do you realize that power that raised Jesus and put him on that throne is at work in you. You don't believe dead men can rise? Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2 this, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the spirit that's at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God... Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, 
even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together in Christ. Is that not good news? For by grace you have been saved. Here's the the plausibility structure the resurrection gives to us. It changes it. It announces it. This is what we do. We announce it to a role that says you only go around once or I don't have any time for you. You'll never change. I'm sorry. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead and he has all authority over all things. And God has said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemy a footstool to your feet. I'll tell you this, dead men rise all the time because Jesus Christ is risen. Matthew Barrett writes, Because Christ is risen, we as those who are in Christ have every assurance that our labor in sharing the gospel of the risen Christ is not pointless and without purpose, but will matter for all eternity. Can you feel the disciples shift slightly? (laughs) They're going to get it in a second. But Jesus makes it clear. Here's a second one. So that plausibility structure was one that dead men don't rise. Here's the next one. I call it the defensive plausibility structure, and we all have this. The defensive plausibility structure says this. Some things are just too good to be true. And this is around us all the time. But notice in verse 38, Jesus says to the disciples, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. I just want you to stop and think about this. Jesus is very specific and intentional to invite his disciples to physically touch his wounds in his hand and to handle him. He says, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. Now listen to this line. And while they still disbelieved for joy, that's a, that's a really interesting line. And we're marveling. See, in the first passage, they disbelieved and they had fear. Now touching Jesus, they have joy, and that joy leads to disbelief. And you and I go, what in the world is going on? They're touching Jesus, and Jesus is confronting. In fact, they don't, Jesus doesn't stop there. He says right after that, when they're, they're, they're disbelieved for joy, It says, and Jesus says, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. And Jesus is countering their disbelief for joy. And I'll tell you this, we all have it. At some point in time, we're tempted to hope. We're tempted to rejoice. Maybe it's as he says, but then we disbelieve. Because we don't want to what? We don't want to be disappointed again. We don't want to be sucked in again. You see, one of the plausibility structures that I believe has pervaded our culture is that of hopelessness. In our structure, in our culture, the, one of the most reasonable things you can be is hopeless. Several years ago, before he died, Stephen Hawking predicted that the Earth would eventually become an overheated fireball planet. And the best advice he could give at the end of his life is that we should move to another planet. So Elon Musk and others have been using their billions of dollars to try to go to another planet. Now let me just say this as an aside. One of my hopes in heaven is to travel to other planets. That's a real hope of mine. 
because I love being outdoors and I love exploring and and I think that'll be there. There, I think we'll be able to go to other planets, but that's not theology that you can rely on, so who cares? <laughs> but here's Elon Musk. He says, either we spread Earth to other planets or we risk going extinct. An extinct event is inevitable, and we're increasingly doing ourselves in. And so you get this cultural tug-of-war going on. There's, there's some people who are trying everything they can to save the planet. And I want to say this, that that's not a problem because this planet matters to God. And God is going to save this planet. Amen. He is going to make all things, what? New. New. That's going to happen. So we are stewards of this planet and we, we're called to, to deal with it. That's, that's not a problem that we have, but there's a lot of other people who are abandoning hope in this planet and kind of saying, forget all of this, and we kind of turn the other way and, and flee. And so you constantly get this narrative all the time of the hopelessness of the world, the catastrophic environmental thing, the catastrophic political environment, and all of these things. But the resurrection of Jesus touched my hands, touch my side, feel my wounds, is an announcement to us, not only is Jesus going to be himself physically resurrected, but we will be physically resurrected, and this earth, he will be the firstborn of all creation, he will make all things new. Friends, that's an announcement we have to make as the people of God. We have this great, glorious announcement that Christ is going to make everything New. Leslie Newbegin again to quote him says, This is the whole point, accepted in faith. It becomes the starting point for a whole new way of understanding our human experience, a way which in the long run makes more sense of human experience as a whole than does the reigning plausibility structure. That the crucified Christ was raised from death to be the first fruit of creation is in the proper sense dogma. It is something given, offered for acceptance in faith, providing the starting point for a new way of understanding, which instead of being finally defined by the impassable bound of death, our personal deaths, and the final death of the cosmos moves us from death outward to an open world of infinite possibilities, beckoning us into fresh regions of what? Joy. Christian, that's why the resurrection is to affect you. Amen. It changes the meaning of everything, the, the hope of everything. We don't, we live in a culture that's just every day is death. Every day is pessimism. Every day is despair. You, you, you want to get depressed? Just go on Twitter. Just watch the news. Just do it for two days. My advice is don't. Right? Because the world has lost hope. And the ground for our hope is not cross your fingers and move yourself philosophically into fairyland. Or some pixie dust is going to come down and make all things new. There was a bodily resurrected Jesus. And they touched his side and they felt his hands. One of the commentators said that when they touched his hands, they could feel his knuckle bones and probably could feel the blood coursing from the heart that loved us. Isn't that marvelous? My friends, that's got to change the way you and I live our lives. Let me ask you this question. When's the last time you felt joy rush in? When you thought about life with a resurrected and reigning and returning Savior? 
Have you felt joy rush in and faith run out at the same time because you're afraid of disappointment? Don't you feel this? They disbelieved for joy. I've done that many times. Can it be? Am I just going to get disappointed again? Will this be? The physical bodily resurrection is a declaration by God. It will be as I have said. It will be so. Will you dare to hope? Let me ask you, is this the main lens by which you look at life? The resurrection of Jesus. Well, finally, in this passage of Scripture, I want to show you what I'm going to call the gospel plausibility structure. Jesus rose from the dead and will raise others from all the nations and his kingdom will be everlasting. Look at verse 44. He said, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Let me just stop there. Look at that verse. Because until Christ opens your minds, you will hold on to every other plausibility structure. But Christ opened up their minds. He took them back. And when he took them back, he showed them the grand narrative of the gospel, which wasn't simply that the Son of Man, like he had done before, had to die and rise again. What he actually said was the Son of Man had to die, rise again, and then the gospel of repentance and faith would be preached to all nations, to the ends of the earth. See what he says there? beginning from Jerusalem, and he says, you are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power and on high. He opens up their eyes, and he tells them, there is a glorious narrative. This world will be my world. The nations will will belong to me. That's why I love singing in Hebrew and Portuguese and Italian and, and Spanish. As we sing together as a people of God, we're anticipating that day when the gospel goes to all the nations. That's, the, that's how it's going, folks. That's why he died and rose again. That's the narrative that's got to shape our lives. Jesus opened their minds to see this. And so he goes back into the Old Testament. He quotes from Isaiah chapter 53, I'm sure, and he tells them that it pleased God to bruise him. He laid on on Christ, the weight of our iniquities. We, like sheep, have gone astray. We each have gone to his own way, and God has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. And then he goes back from that and says, you see God crushing his son in chapter 53, but remember the announcement in 52, 9 to 10. Break forth together with singing, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the eyes of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Paul and Romans will repeatedly quote Old Testament passages that tell a grand narrative. In Romans chapter 15, 12 to 13, he quotes from Isaiah 11. And again he says, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. Then he says, may the God of hope, listen to me, this blessing is what you're meant to get from this text at the end of Luke. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Is that not countercultural? 
Is that not transformative? Friends, at the end of this passage, they're abounding in hope. They began with hopelessness. Despair, dead men don't rise. At the end of this, they realize the nations are going to come to Christ. And every one of us here today need to take the broken uh, miniature story of our lives and place it in the grand narrative of the gospel. Because the grand story is greater than our little story. Listen to Jeremy Lelick in his book, Post Traumatic Stress Disorder, a Christian book written for Westminster Press. Jeremy writes, death and pain are not ends to be feared. And life as we know it is not the ultimate prize to be coveted. The all-surpassing joy for the believer is that both those who have died in faith and those who live in faith are moving along the same timeline that culminates in the return of Jesus Christ. It is in this event that the radiance of his faithfulness will brightly shine. It is in this promise of Christ's return that many believers throughout history have not only risked pain, danger, and death for his sake, but have sprinted unwaveringly into consuming flames. Do you hear what he's saying there? If you have the culture's paradigm for thinking, you'll be saving your life. But if you have a gospel paradigm, your life's been saved. It's safe in Jesus Christ. And the call is not. And so, you know, when he's teaching about post-traumatic stress disorders, those of you who have it and have been through it know that one of the things that therapists will do with those going through post-traumatic stress disorder is they will keep you going through the narrative of your trauma. And they do it over and over again. You'll get sick of it. They'll keep going through the narrative of your trauma over and over again because they're trying to help you frame your trauma in light of a different story. Because the way trauma affects us is that our trauma gets gets defined in terms of hopelessness and despair, constant pain and sorrow. We have to broaden it. We have to see that as something that the, the way we've interpreted it and sat down in it is not ultimately the story of our lives. And God does it in the gospel. God comes and tells us that the trauma of your life has been triumphed over by Jesus Christ. It is not the end of the story. He will raise you from the dead and he will make all things new. Aren't you glad for that? That's the story of our lives. That's what we sing about. That's what we announce. And, and what happens for Christians is we get saved from a life where we're trying to perpetually shelter ourselves from suffering because if God is for us, who can be against us? Amen. What will separate us from the love of God? That becomes the song. That becomes the backbone. That becomes the strength of the people of God. That's why God's people have been willing to go and risk their lives because they know this, dead men do rise and will rise because Jesus Christ rose and rose again. And so what do we see in this passage of Scripture at the end of the Gospel of Luke? It says in verse 15, he led them out as far as Bethany, lifting up his hands, he blessed them. When he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. They worshipped Jesus. They knew who he was. He was who he claimed to be. 
They worshipped him because he was worthy. He had laid down his life for them. They worshipped him because he was the one who proved himself to be the Messiah, the Son of God, who had come to conquer sin and death, and he had done it for them. They rejoiced in him. It says they were engaged. They were waiting for that promised gift of the Holy Spirit. They were going, okay, we get it now. Let's go. And they wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit because they knew that this was not the end of the story. It was just the beginning. And their neighbors and their nations, all the nations of the world, would be set free. And this world would be made new. Friends, do you have that? Is that the lens? Do you understand? The resurrection is the lens you have to see life through. It'll set you free. It'll keep you from those narratives that make you discouraged and hopeless. It'll pull you out of that little story of yours, which isn't insignificant to him. He died for you. He sees your story, but he wants you to have the story. You can have that story today. You can come in and surrender to him, and he promises that you won't regret it that one day he'll make you new and one day he'll make the nations new and one day he'll make it all new. And on that day, we will sing and laugh and rejoice and maybe visit another planet or two. (laughs) Right? Let's pray together. So God, as we come to the end of the Gospel of Luke, we do not come to the end of hope, but we come to the beginning. We do not come, dear God, to just a a quiet closing, but we come to a new beginning of an announcement that Jesus Christ has triumphed over sin and death, and he will make all things new. Father, we want to live for Jesus. He's lived for us. We want to die for Jesus, for he has died for us. We want to be raised again with Jesus because he is going to make it all new. So help us to see as he sees. Give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. Give us a life to live. For Jesus is worthy. He really is. Thank you, Father. We pray it in his name alone. God's people said, amen. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were able to seek, savor, and share the all-surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. If you'd like to find out more about our church, submit a prayer request, watch previous sermons, go to www.waterbrook.church. Have a blessed week.